Welcome to It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where you get to hear us tell you about gruesome murders that have intrigued us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Welcome to our first episode. This episode is full of gory, horrifying details, so listeners beware. Our podcast is not recommended for children. We will detail graphic scenes and graphic violence and we'll use offensive language. So put your kids away for a while and join us for a murder. So before we get started, Cindy is going to tell you a little bit about our social media stuff. Yes, we have a website. Please visit us at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com, where you can find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Great. And all stories, all details in the story are true as far as we know. We're not making up any of this stuff. Most of it we got from newspapers, interviews, and other online sources. All right, so this story takes place in St. Charles, Missouri. It's a city about 30 minutes outside of St. Louis with Um, At the time, a population of about 200,000 people, St. Charles was considered a relatively safe outer suburb of um, northwest St. Louis, so many people were shocked by the murder of a young female. Um, At about 6 o'clock on Sunday, April 26, 1998, Lindawood University student was walking to his job at Pizza Hut when he encountered what he thought was a prank. He found a partially new bloody headless mannequin. It was parents weekend and there were many sporting events going on so the campus was full of parents and spectators and the pranksters were out in full force within a few hours according to the st charles police department police captain patrick mccarrick it was soon crawling with more than 40 detectives well as soon as the unwitting passerby took a closer look he realized that he was seeing the real deal a decapitated decapitated partially naked female Um, At that point, he wasted no time contacting campus security, who contacted the St. Charles Police Department at 6.50 a.m. Now, it should be noted that um, I looked up the victim's obituary, and that stated that the person walking to work was a female. Uh, This is the only place I found that shows that the person was not male. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, their obituary gave this information? Yes, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, it said that the victim was, um, she was a victim of homicide, and it even said how she was found by a, by a female walking to work. See, that's right up my alley. I need to know all the details all the time. I mean... Right. So we don't do that here. Our there's, nothing, yeah. there's nothing more awkward than calling up somebody and saying, hey, yo, how did that person... Uh, right. Um, did yeah. that person have cancer? Did they... They had a drug overdose, right. didn't they? Yeah. But, yeah. Know. I want to know those details. You're right. That's it, why it's we're none do- of my business, but I want to know. That's right. We're nosy. We want to know why people die. Anyway, um, I'm just going to continue to call the passerby a male since I only saw that it was a female one time. And the obituary, you think that's probably the legit, but I don't know. Anyway, um, I did find a, an article in the Linden Link, which is Lindenwood's online publication, that when the police arrived, they quickly determined that the victim was um, a young female who had been sexually assaulted, stabbed to death, and decapitated. Good grief. Uh, They had no idea who the victim was, so they quickly went to work searching the campus for evidence. And according to Lieutenant Chad Fisk of the St. Charles Police Department, her headless and partially nude body was found on a footpath between what are now the Lindawood Water Towers and the Welcome Center. Uh, you're never going to guess where they found her head. Um, they later found her head in a porta potty on the other side of campus. Hmm, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
uh, very um, like humiliating. Is humiliating the right word? Like demeaning. I demeaning. Mean, it's a desecration. Disrespectful. I, yeah. It's disgusting. just like the worst place ever. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was in New Orleans one time, which is the worst place you can be to use a porta potty as New Orleans. And yeah. uh, yes, I saw a guy actually passed out in the porta potty and the Ew. EMS had to come rescue him. Ooh. Yeah. That was the most Ew. disgusting thing I've ever seen in that my is, life. Like, no, I can top that, okay? Because I read just the other day. <laughs> I read just the other day that they, were, they found this pervert and they call it a bowl in the bowl of the shitter. Like, <laughs> okay? Because he got off. How did he get in there? I guess he just crawled down through the hole, okay? But he, like, Underneath the porta potty? No, like in the water part. Like in the blue part where the blue yeah. water is. Okay. That's well, gross. I don't know. Sometimes it's blue. <laughs> Sometimes it's brown. <laughs> but anyway, he told cops that he like really enjoyed watching females poop. So I mean, uh, yeah. Seriously, I read that the other day. That's disgusting. Disgusting. Yes. Okay. There's some fucking. No leaders. disrespect to our victim. No, at not at all. Okay. Um. So anyway, police continue to gather evidence following what leads they had which were not many i mean they had crime scene photos they had the victim's head um so what they did was they uh tried to interview people on campus uh, professors uh, students but the president of the university at the time he was known as he was kind of a hard ass like he had been featured in riverfront times magazine which is um, a magazine of st louis uh, that, that said, they said that he tried to prevent any negative reports about the murder from getting to the public. He was known as hard, being hard to accept external authority. He guards his campus from local inter- uh, intrusions to the point that when the victim was raped, stabbed, and decapitated on campus in 1998, it was common knowledge that he was giving the police fits, refusing to release information on the faculty or allow them to search rooms. So, you know, he's kind of being a jerk. But then again, you know, he didn't want bad publicity. If your kid was going to that college, you know, you wouldn't want to pull that kid out immediately. True. But, I mean, you don't want bad publicity, but there's a murder that just took place on right. campus. Yeah. So, you're going to get it. Right. But, you know what, the the cops pressed on. They, you know, they got their search warrants or whatever they needed to do. And in an, or, in an effort to identify her, they took a photo of her head. They cleaned it up. They took a photo of it and showed it to students across campus. Um, according to McCarrick, the, the police officer said that it was a cleaned up picture. It didn't show that her head was cut off or anything like that. He said that they had to, they had to know who the girl was. But none of the students recognized her, and the police were considering. Now, consider, this was still the same day they found the body. Um, that they were thinking about releasing a photo to the memory, oh, I'm sorry, to the media, but they didn't have to because it, there was such a media frenzy, like, uh, helicopters all over the place, police fans, that it was reported, this, this, um, headless body was reported on every news outlet out there. And just before they decided, just right after the five o'clock news, right around 530, uh, the girl's mother called the police to report her daughter missing, and her description of the girl matched the body. So, like, 11 hours later. Right. So, right. So, after she saw the news and said that um, learned there was a dead body on campus, she's like, oh, well, maybe I'll report my daughter missing. Um, 
So after watching the five o'clock news, she called the police. Don Saborn was her name to report that her 13 year old daughter was missing. So, um, so it took were, her 11 hours right. to report a 13 year old little girl missing. Right. Right. And so the my police, kid's missing like 15 minutes. I'm freaking out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I track his ass. So. And you know we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh, about the situation, but you know I don't know if they just didn't realize that she had been missing since the night before. They did not. Um, the boyfriend, the mom, and the boyfriend had been out all night. They were investigated and determined to have uh, an alibi, so they were never suspects. They were cleared almost immediately. Um, the daughter's name was Tiffany Jaylene Saborin. So Tiffany Saborin. She was a 13-year-old 7th grader at Wentzville Middle School, and she was babysitting her 8- and 11-year-old brothers at her mom's boyfriend's apartment that Saturday night. So, um, she went missing. The last time someone saw her was 10 o'clock that night. Her body was found at 6.50 a.m., or about six, between 6 and 6.30 a.m. Sunday morning. So she must have left after the boys were asleep? Yes, or? because the boys never knew that she left. And when the boys woke up, you know, they just went around. They made themselves cereal. They watched cartoons or whatever kids do in the morning. So um, the parents didn't get home. They didn't, uh, the parent, the mom and the boyfriend didn't get home until the next day. And I guess when they got home, they just figured that the girl had left to go hang out with friends that day. So when she didn't come home around dark, that's when the mom started freaking out. But I remember I was bartending at the time. And I just remember, like, the outrage people had of this mother. Like, where was she? And why did she report her daughter missing earlier? And how could, how dare she? But that's you know, easy for us who aren't in that situation to say, you know. Right. I would never. It's easy for us to judge and say, I would never. Now, I did hear, I did read that the mother was 19 when Tiffany was born. And I can relate to that because I was 19 when my son was born. And, and I was 20. Uh, yeah. So I was still young and. Um, it's hard, it's hard to say you wouldn't do that in that situation, but who knows? I do remember that people were freaking out about this, um, at where I was working. One of the guys would come in and talk about what he had heard. He was friends with some detectives and he had told us about the head being found in the, um, porta potty before it had even, even been found. He also mm -hmm. said that she had been gutted like a deer. Um, I had I didn't see anything like that in anything I read, but he had said he had said that he heard that from the police officers. Mm. Well, uh, hopefully that's just yeah, hearsay. Hearsay, because right. that's I can't imagine. Uh, it's, uh, it's awful. I couldn't imagine that desecration on a body at all. I know the whole town was just crazy. They, you know, like everyone was talking about it. People were scared to go out at night. Everybody thought a lunatic was on uh, loose. Um, People well, at the university that were in outrage yeah. about security. So they had a buddy system, you know. Well, I mean, campus security probably wasn't all that it is today then, you know. And there are reasons why we have the security right. today that we do on campuses. Right. I mean, I know when I went to Florida State, I think that the call boxes were fairly new. Hmm. Um, I don't, yeah. I really don't know. They were there when I got there, but I, I, for whatever reason, I think that they were like a fairly new system. Right. And, and they're, you know, they're like every 15 feet. 
Well, I do know that that president was, he had a bad reputation for like not, not spending money. Like the budget was really tight and he didn't have a whole lot of funding going towards campus security. Like people complained about lighting and um, unsafe, you know, dorms, like the locks weren't good locks and um, people would break in, the windows were, you know, and he wouldn't want the police on campus. So you know, if things would get stolen, he wouldn't report, you know, make any reports or anything like that. Yeah, but. because usually campuses have their own police force. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know how much he spent on that. Like, I don't know the budget there. I know there was campus security because they're the ones who called the... They um, called the actual police. Right. They're the ones who called the police. Um, now, I, you know, I just keep thinking that this poor girl, she, her head was cut off. Ugh. Like, I can't imagine first of all who could do such a thing but not only that like can you imagine the force that it would take to have to cut someone's head off from their body no like you know you have tendons and cartilage and bone in there and like the sheer force and not only that but the sheer will to do it like you realize oh my god i'm cutting somebody's head off and they just keep doing it yeah no i mean unfortunately i've seen the video online where one of the terrorist organi- terrorist groups were beheading oh, some of the right. and it wasn't just like a wasn't like a guillotine it was I mean they were having to really god you watched that yeah Ew. told you morbid okay so yeah. I mean it's not yeah. something you want to watch more than once but I saw it and I was like oh that's really fucking oh, disturbing okay. yeah but it, it's not something that's not like right like I said it's not like a guillotine and sometimes yeah. even the guillotine didn't get it yeah the first time well, I, I, you know, I found, I read that the knife had, was, had a five-inch blade. So, you know, that's not super long. That would take some time to cut somebody's head off, I would think. Yeah. You know, even if you're angry, I don't know. You know, and then, you know, the fact that the head, I mean, did he carry it around by the hair? I mean, I don't know. I'm sorry, but I have these thoughts in my head. Well, yeah, because... As you continue on with the story, there are details where he... Well, yeah. So, anyway, once they identified the girl, they interviewed her friends, her family. Um, She was loved by her family and her friends. Uh, Most people have wonderful things to say about her. Her friends said she was fun. She liked to sing and be loud. Her stepmom said she was a beautiful girl with a gorgeous smile. She was good at math and softball. Her grandma said that her smile lit up the room and the holidays just weren't the same without her there. I imagine so. Yeah. I mean, with all of those things, though, she did have problems. So um, one of her school counselors said that she had had problems, serious problems since the fourth grade. Of course, you know, she can't elaborate on that. I was surprised that she even said that and it was in the newspaper. Um, not only did she have problems um, that the counselor said, but the stepmom said that she had stolen a couple cars. Um, she had wrecked a couple of them. She may have stolen cars before, but she got caught twice because she wrecked them. Um, she smoked cigarettes. She was known to sneak out at night. She's also reported to have been dating a 15-year-old boy, and we'll talk about him in a little while, but I don't know if that's from a valid source or not. It's obvious that she had some problems that may have led to her making some less than safe decisions, but when she was a child, she didn't deserve to die like that. No, not at all. Um, Police said they suspected the victim was acquainted with her killers. 
um, and probably met them somewhere near her home only a few hours before she was sexually assaulted and killed. Mm. They continued to work hard. The cops, they um, interviewed over four, they interviewed hundreds, hundreds of people. They followed over 400 leads, but they weren't having much luck. And then, you know, everybody was like, what can we do? We need to find, find the killer. But they didn't have much evidence. So one guy, a canine officer, suggested that they call in um, <clears throat> bloodhounds. He suggested bloodhounds. So they did. They called in two dogs, one named Chester from Dearborn, Dearborn, Michigan. And then they called in Samantha from Porter, Indiana. And the dogs and their handlers arrived in St. Charles on May 1st. So the murder happened on April 25th, April 26th. They found the body April 26th. Um, so five days later, maybe five days later, six days later, the... Um, dogs came. The dogs were unable to do anything because it was raining so hard. It had been raining super hard for a whole week. Uh, so the police were really worried that maybe any evidence, evidence was washed was away. Washed away yeah. Yeah. Um, but when the dogs were able to finally get to work, the um, police officers picked up tip, um, they picked up some gym clothes from her, her school locker and they uh, So at this point they were just looking for Evidence. They had already found both her body and her head, yes, correct? Yes, yes. So, because I know a little bit about cadaver dogs, um, so these probably weren't cadaver dogs. They were just searching, I guess, searching rescue dogs, but they were really just trying to search for her scent to try to find clues. Yeah, or... I, I think so. Now, um, at one point it said that they were decomposition dogs, like they sniffed decomposition, but why would they give... Um, the smell of her gym clothes. Well, they so they took the dogs to the apartment where she was babysitting, mm-hmm. and they gave they gave her the dogs the scent of her gym clothes. They took the dogs took off running for over a mile. They went to the pond by where the body was found, and the dog Chester went first. He led his handler from the apartments all the way to the pond, which was over a mile away. And at that point, he keyed in on a specific corner of the pond. Then they took the female dog out on a boat. And then she indicated at one corner of the pond, it said that she wanted to jump in. So at that point, they flagged that area and they brought divers in who recovered at the bottom of the pond a bed sheet. And tied up in the bed sheet were a bunch of rocks that make the bed sheet sink to the bottom. Well, but if they were cadaver dogs and they were searching for clues, then they would have been able, possibly... I mean, I don't see how they could smell through the water, but I don't don't, know. Well, that's the thing, yeah, because they said that... um, But if the bed sheet was used and they were trained to smell the death, they're trained to smell death. So, if he used the bed sheet to transport her in any form, any any way, then they would have... You know, yeah, so they did test the bed sheet, and um, it did have signs of decomposition on it. So it had the girl scent, and what, um, and and that was a it was miraculous to the police officers because they said that um, they the dogs smelled that girl scent on that sheet from a mile away over a hill a week later under five feet of water, and it rained every day. So from the minute they found her body. 
Um, and I don't know if it was raining the day they found her body, but for five, six straight days, it rained. So they were afraid wow. of all evidence. But, you know, those dogs have some sense. I mean, they mm-hmm. have, like, a, the power of scent. Well, they're able to, to locate body parts, tissue, blood, and even bone. Yeah. Under five feet of water, yeah, after five crazy. days of rain, um, over a hill a week later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this bed sheet, it turned out to be the break that these um, detectives needed to solve the case because it was very unique. There was a design on it. The sheet was beige and it had large black brown circles um, with dove's wings intersecting them. And the, the police had never seen anything like this sheet. They're just like, you know, somebody's going to recognize this sheet. It's just so weird looking. So they released a photo of it. kind of like it. a fluke because... Yeah. I mean, a bed sheet. I mean, I guess... Yeah. You know. I mean... Oh, I've never seen a bed sheet. Well, there's plenty of bed sheets I've never right. seen. I wouldn't think... Well, this is a really odd bed sheet unless it... I don't know. I just... <laughs> well, they decided... After two days, they decided they were going to just release a picture of the sheet. They had nothing else. And within 30 minutes, they had three phone calls about the sheet. Okay? I mean... Which is crazy in itself. Right? right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, Johnny's right. bed sheet was that... I don't know. I just... Well, all right. Well, one of, the, one of the people who called in, Jason Richter, he was a 19-year-old education major at Lindenwood University. He called and said, hey, that sheet belongs to my roommate, Jason Shipman. So the cops were like, really? But before he called in, he got a call from his girlfriend. His girlfriend was like, well, before that even, he and his friends had been joking around because his roommate stopped coming back to the dorm room after this girl's murder. And so they joked around suggesting that Shipman had packed up because he was a murderer. Um, Could you imagine making fun of your friend? Teasing, or not, I mean, Woody's not there now. Well, I bet it was Jason, that freak. Yeah. And then... To think that you were just kidding. And right, right. So, so this, so Jason Richards is hanging out in his room, and his girlfriend calls. She's like, "You've got to turn the news on right now. That sheet, Jason's sheet, is on TV." And See, leave it at the girl. Leave right. it to the girlfriend to remember. The boyfriend didn't remember. He didn't have a clue. Right. He was just making fun of his friend, but the girlfriend would notice something like that. Right. She noticed the sheet. Right. Yeah. So he turned on the TV and he saw the sheet on TV, and he looked over at his um, his roommate's bed and saw this pillowcase because if it's a dorm right it's just one room it's one room he saw the pillow with the pillowcase on it the same pattern and the fitted sheet and the the uh, flat sheet was missing yeah that's yeah so he's like he called his dad then the the dad came over and they called the police um the police came he said that the police went through and searched the stuff they ended up taking some of jason richard's like i think he said a calendar or something else but this kid was so impressed with the detectives. He said that they were fun. He said they were professional yet fun, and they had a banter between them that he like really was impressed by. He was so impressed he ended up changing his major, and instead of going into education, he's now in law enforcement. So you know, um, such a tragic event changed one person's life. Who ultimately he probably changed, you know, helped many people. Right. Right. Um, I did read an article about his career. He was recognized for. Um, saving somebody's life, he ended up shooting a guy who, a bad guy. So I don't really know the, the de- can't remember the details on that, but he he was recognized for um, being brave at, in the line of duty. 
Anyway, back to the story. Um, police ended up looking for the roommate, Jason Shipman, and they finally found him at a motel um, a few towns over and on May 3rd. So he, of course, when they got him, he denied knowing anything about it. Wasn't like, me. Oh, wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, then he, when he got to the station, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who it was. It was my friend Billy Joe Logsdon. So Billy Joe Logsdon, now he's a 15-year-old middle schooler. Hanging out with a 21-year-old. Hating, hanging out with a 20, oh, 21-year-old hanging out with a 15-year-old. Okay. Yeah, right. You know, I can see why the 15-year-old be hanging out with the 21-year-old, right. but the other way around, I don't get that, yeah, right? No. You know, hey, buy me some beer, right? Uh, anyway, police ended up picking up Logston, and this kid, he's got an IQ of 81, which is the lowest of the average IQ. Uh, they ended up picking him up, and he ended up confessing. He confessed, he confessed to the crime. Um, three times, but his story kept changing, and eventually police realized, you know, the story isn't adding up, but he still, they still locked him up and put him in jail. They actually um, were going to charge him as an adult. He was certified to be tried as an adult. Uh, he served about a year in jail before... For a crime um, he didn't commit. Right. But he before he was it. He confessed to it, right? Yeah. Um, just as a side note on him... It was he, a lot of his friends that he hung out with in the neighborhood said that he moved to St. Charles because he was trying to escape gang ties that he had. Like he would brag about um, uh, drive-by shootings. Oh, yeah, I would never do it for money or anything. Okay, well, really? I mean, what would you do it for, right? Right, okay. yeah. So it sounds um, like he just needed some attention. Yeah. Not that that makes it okay, but... Well, not only that, but he also was um, a drug addict at 15. He had like um, a drug, drug and alcohol abuse. Um, <clears throat> psychiatrist said that he had a low IQ, but he also suffered years of abuse and would need serious treatment for five to six years. Jeez. They argue that he shouldn't be tried as an adult because of those mitigating factors, but of course, um, the prosecuting attorney said no this is a heinous crime so he was charged um shipman was also charged but now shipman's shipman lived in the same neighborhood as them before he moved into the dorms his oh, landlady, so that's how they knew it. i think that's that may be how he knew but it was all in the same neighborhood even the college yeah um shipman's landlady said that she ended up evicting him because he didn't pay his rent he was a liar he was loud um, neighbors complained. She also said that he was as mature as a nine-year-old. Oh. Um, so that might be another reason why he was hanging out with a right. 15-year-old, because yeah. he was more on that level. Right, yeah. As a Because he didn't hang out with his college roommates. As a matter of fact, his college roommate said that he would just, like, kind of stay to himself and play with baseball cards. It was kind of odd. How do you right? play with baseball cards? Right, yeah. Like, How? organize them? Or? I, I don't ask me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, he had a girlfriend, Jason Shipman had a girlfriend, the 21 year old and had a child with her. This was before the murder. Oh, wow. He had a child with her and she ended up putting out a restraining order against him saying that he was violent and she was scared of him. He apparently beat his sister like super badly one time. Mm. Um, 
He also lived in, well, let me see if I can get to that. Oh, yeah, I'll get to that in just a minute. But anyway, they ended up realizing that the F they had sent the uh, she and some cigarette butts and other evidence to the FBI crime lab and for DNA testing. And that took about a year to come back. Holy and at that God. point, I know, and this was 98, and it's still, you know, there's a backlog of that stuff, but... When the well, and it's not what it is today, anyway. Right. I mean, it was, and it's not CSI episode, right? No, yeah. definitely not. Anyway, um, when the evidence came back, Jason logs and there was none of his DNA anywhere at all. Jason? It was all Jason Shipman, Billy Joe logs and I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, none of his DNA was on any of the evidence. It was all Jason Shipman, the 21 year old. So, did they determine if the 15 year old was even there at all? He was not there. Real? They don't think he was there at all. As a matter of fact, he walked free. So, um, at that point, the prosecutor went to Jason Shipman, said, "Look, your DNA is all over the evidence. You know, we're going to go for the death penalty unless you confess." And Jason Shipman confessed. He told them that Tiffany was babysitting her siblings at her mom's boyfriend's apartment the night of April 25th. He said that she stepped outside to smoke a cigarette when he approached her. He asked her what time it was to start a conversation, and she offered him a juice box. A juice box. Yeah, a juice box. Cigarette and a juice box. Cigarette and a juice box. Bless her Um, heart. I mean, it just seems so sweet. Are you thirsty? You want a juice box? And I just... I mean, maybe that's all they had because they were a bunch of freaking kids. Well, he drank it, I guess. Uh, Anyway, he convinced her to leave her brothers at home and go with him, and they walked to his dorm room. They sat in his dorm room for a while listening to records, and she's like, no, you know what? I have to go home because my mom's going to be home soon. So he offered to walk her home. So she cared about what her... She knew she needed to be home doesn't sound like that she probably had free reign. And I'm just wondering, did she choose to go with him, like, wholeheartedly, or did she feel manipulated in any way? Did she get the creeps and was like, I got to get the hell out of here? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. Um, He told cops that she, you know, was kind of hitting on him. They smoked pot, but there was no marijuana at all in her system. There were no drugs in her system at all. So she might have smoked cigarettes, but she, you know, she wasn't doing drugs or anything like that. Was there any alcohol in her system, did nope. they say? Mm-mm. No, it's good. Maybe juice box. Uh, yeah. Um, so he started walking her home. They reached the footpath next to the water tower. They, he said they stopped to smoke a cigarette. And then at that point, he said, I knew I was going to kill her. So he stabbed her in the back and told her to undress. He said that there was blood all over, but he sexually assaulted her. Then he stabbed her in the chest with his buck knife. And then he stabbed her another time in the back of her neck. And he, uh, she was paralyzed. And he, Shipman said in court that um, before she died, her last words were, will you please take me to hospital? I can't feel my legs. Oh, bless her heart. This is why I tra- track my kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got an app. It tells me how fast they're going in a vehicle, how many miles they went, and how fast they're. Yeah. Well, that and this is '98. They didn't have that then either. But, no, but yeah. because of stories like this, yeah, the reason why they're helicopter parents. Right here. Yep. Um. Let's see. He then cut off her head, 
and burned her genitals in an attempt to cover up evidence. So, you know what? Like, how long did it take to cut off her? Like, is he not worried about somebody just walking by? It's a footpath, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in this, so then he burns her genitals in an attempt to cover up evidence. So he knew it's not like he just had a temporary lapse in Sandy. No, he knew he what he was tried to cover it up. He tried right. to cover it up. Um, so he, at this point, he, um, went back to his dorm to grab the bed sheet so that he could use it to carry her head from one side of the campus to the other. So he left her there? So I don't know if he just left her body with her head there or he carried her head by the hair and took it into the dorm and, or he took, left the head there and came back for it. Why he decided to take the head and put it in the toilet, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, was it, does it say... Like this is a secluded area. No, it's I mean, a footpath, like by the college. It's kind of there's a there's woods and stuff there. Yeah, I mean, being that you said it was parents' weekend, there were some games going on. Yeah, think, you know, on a Saturday right. night, there'd be kids everywhere. And you know, you, this is again just what you you garner from newspapers and online right. stuff. So who really knows? What what is known is that he said that he when he finished um, taking her head, he took the sheet, put rocks in it threw rocks on top of it so that it would sink down. Um, he told police that he had been hunting on campus for a while. He would have been a serial killer is what the cops said. So um, he's sorry. been wanting to kill someone for a while. If he got rid of the blanket or the sheet by throwing it in the water, it's like, did he put the head in the porta potty because he wanted it found? Well, that's what police are saying. They, they're saying that it was staged, that he was... He was wanting attention for this murder. So this was a... Okay. Wow. Um, actually, uh, McCarrick said he's a classic organized killer. He probably would have become a serial killer had we not caught him. Now, I don't really know that much about classic organized killers, but to me, this doesn't seem that organized. It seems like he's kind of like trying to cover it up. Um, but, but then again, he also... You know, I guess he took the head away to try not so that she would be harder to identify. I don't know. Um, He probably, according to McCary, he probably would have been a serial killer had we not caught him. It was clearly a sexual motivated crime. He says that he didn't care who the victim was. Saying he didn't care who the victim was is nonsense. Um, Well, God, I mean, this probably wasn't his, like you said, he, it's not his first act of violence because he beat his sister Mm -hmm. and then the girlfriend was afraid of him. So there probably weren't any stray cats in his neighborhood because he had killed them all. Probably. Who knows? I mean, who else? I don't know. Did it, I guess no one else came forward to say this psycho tried to hurt me or tried to do this. Well, it did say that he had a history of petty crime. It said that his mom and sister lived in a mobile home until management threw them out because he was caught peeping in a young girl's windows. So this is an escalation. Yes. Um, it said that Richter, the, the roommate who called the police, said that his roommate kept himself most of the time. He didn't bring much of his life around the dorm or me, so he didn't really know that much about Like, they didn't hang out or anything like that. He just basically kind of hung out outside of, with outside people. He said that he rarely brought girls back to the dorm, but rarely means that he must have once or twice, right? Right, yeah. Um, as I said, he did father a child with a previous girlfriend. He ended up pleading guilty and was sentenced to three life terms plus 150 wow. years Good. without the possibility for parole. 
and he is incarcerated at the Southeast Correctional Center in Charleston. Um, He's not on rideaprisoner.com because I looked it up. No. And he has refused any sort of interview with anyone uh, about the crime. There are a couple of rumors that Tiffany was dating the 15-year-old um, Billy Joe Logston. Oh, yeah. And um, she broke up with him. And so he told her that he was going to kill her. There's also another rumor that Jason Shipman had seen a play on Lindenwood campus called Macbeth. And that um, after he saw that... He wanted to go and stab and rape and kill someone. But, you know, who knows that, if that's the truth or not. Right. People just so. pull in, oh, well, I remember this right. and this, right. you know, right. assumptions. Um, wow. Now, I know that um, a lot of her a lot of her um, peers at schools were terribly affected by this. Um, when these kids started going into high school, I met a few of them, and... You know, they were still traumatized by the event. Oh, yeah. So it was like, you know, it affected a whole community. It was it was horrific, and um, I'll never forget it, which is why I chose it to do as my first murder on our first episode. Yes. All right. Well, if you enjoyed that story for our first episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. Rate and share. And please tell your friends. All right. And please... Um, Visit our website again. That is um, it wasn't me truecrime.com. Uh, visit that website for more information to learn about us. And remember, it wasn't, it wasn't me. me.